Hi, this is Eric Lyman. Did you know I'm the associate winemaker here at Judd's Hill? It's true, and you're welcome. <laughs> man, you're doing a good job, man. Tasty wines. Thanks, Eric. Anyways, <laughs> I've got Judd busy checking fermentation, so I'm introducing today's episode. Ooh, I just love all the little bubbles coming up in this one. Isn't this pretty? Look at the color. Today's show features vintner Brooks Painter. He's a multi-award winning and well-respected winemaker. Also, a really cool guy who we admire here at Judd's Hill. You'll enjoy hearing his story. Before we get to it, I'd like to invite you to visit us here at Judd's Hill on the south end of Silverado Trail. We'll show you a good time. Visiting information can be found at juddshill.com. While online, have a look at our events, funny videos, and wine selection. Put some wine in your cart, and as a special bonus for listening, type in the coupon code JNVS in lowercase letters and get 15% off your entire wine order. For a better deal than that, join Judd's Hill Wine Club. It's free to sign up and good times and fine wines that I make will be on your way. And now, enjoy the show. Mm, uh, this one is delicious. Hey, you're, you're drinking up all the profits, Judd. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. In a world of Tuesday morning Napa Valley Radio. There's only one show that stands all of the above. And that show is Judd's Napa Valley Show. Good morning, Lauren Mole. Wow, channeling the late, great Don LaFontaine in a world where... Yes. You got some more for me? I, 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 no, that, that, that was like a teaser. I want more. That's it. That's Oh, you are cruel. You're cruel to me, Lauren. You tease me and you're cruel and I want... More of that coming attraction movie trailer announcing. Can we have some more maybe during the show? Could that be the theme today? No. He's shaking his head no. This is radio. You can say it out loud. Not today. Okay. Ugh. You were very cruel to me, Lauren Mole. But I love you anyway. What's happening? Well, we got the Cherry Bradford Community Chorus Christmas concert coming up soon. Well, tell us all about it. This is the Rockin' Christmas show? Yes. It's the second annual Napa Valley Community Chorus concert entitled Rock the Season. Yeah. Uh, it will be held at 8 p.m. on Thursday, December 4th at the Lincoln Theater over in Yonville. So come on down and support us. We're going to have a great time. Yeah, yeah. You guys do a wonderful show. And you're part of the Community Chorus. And your part is you sing which part? Base. Base. A little uh, preview of anything that's going to happen at the show? Some of the set list, perhaps? Well, you're well, you're just going to have to come to the concert. <laughs> we can't give away the songs on the air right now. You are denying me at every turn today, mister. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? But um, it'll be fun. Oh, I'm sure it will. Tickets can be had at lincolntheater.com or terrybradford.com? That's correct. Okay. That's one to look forward to. It is. So what's going on with you, Jen? Anything happening over at the winery? Yeah, man. Lots. Thanks for asking. Let's go in, I don't know, no particular order, in fact. Well, since you mentioned Lincoln Theater, we'll go with that. It's not the next thing coming up for us, but let's talk about The Nutcracker. Always excited about The Nutcracker. I've, it's been a favorite of mine for years and years, and it's coming back. This is the 14th annual production of Napa Regional Dance. 
Nutcracker at the Lincoln Theater, December 20th and 21st. I've mentioned this before on the air. It sells out every year. It's such a great production. Uh, Children of all ages, as they say, will enjoy this full production. And the performance on Friday evening, December 20th, will have a live orchestra accompaniment. So that's a lot of fun. LincolnTheater.com is the place to go for tickets. Again, it's December 20th and 21st. There are two shows on the 21st, a matinee and an evening show. Get your tickets now. I've got mine. December 7th at Judd's Hill Winery, conveniently located at the south end of Silverado Trail here in Napa Valley. That's my family's winery. We're having our annual Hanukkah Hootenanny, Sunday, December 7th from noon to 2.30. Always tons of fun. It is a fundraiser, a benefit for Children's Health Initiative, Napa County. How could I, how could I even stumble on that? Such an important institution. This organization makes sure that all people, started with just kids, now it's all people. They make sure they can have access to uh, health insurance and health care right here in uh, Napa County. So keeping our community healthy. And we show them a good time. If you're a Judd's Hill Wine Club member, there's no cost to attend. If you're not, there is a cost to attend. And you can find out all of that information at Judd'sHill.com. Click on the events tab and see what we've got coming up. Speaking of coming up, Monday night. This is fun. This just got confirmed so it's a little short notice but we are going to have some fun at city winery right here in napa downtown napa the opera house turned into now city winery they're having their first annual ugly holiday sweater party and i'm so looking forward to this what do i have to do with it well i've been asked to dj so i'm going to come out there with well either an ugly how could it be ugly with me it'll be a very suave holiday sweater i'm sure and some offbeat holiday tunes to spin for a couple hours there's no cost to come in it's from 6.30 on. Uh, all ages can attend. So you can bring the family. You can have dinner there. There will be wine specials. Of course, a little Judd's Hill wine special. And they have a, uh, a signature craft cocktail they've created for the event. I don't know what's in it, but I can't wait to try one. It's called Sweater Balls. <laughs> I guess that's the name of the cocktail they'll be serving. And that's, uh, again, December 1st. That's a Monday night. Get some um, ugly holiday action on Monday night, December 1st at City Winery with me from 6.30 it's free. You know, one year ago, Lauren, we were sitting in this studio and it was Thanksgivinga. Remember that? It was like That's Thanksgiving right. and Hanukkah came together. That's right. And we had a great show. Jerry Kloss, the owner of Buttercream Bakery, was here and we talked about just the business. It was 65 years, I believe, six, was it 65 years? Yes. Yes, exactly. 65. So another 66 years. Talked about his history, the history of the bakery. We talked about getting ready for the holidays. We talked about mince pie. I'd never had a mince pie. I, I I tried it after that. It was delicious. They do a great job. So we talked about the holidays, and we had Gordon Lustig, our musical director, sitting here, too, coming up with some great Thanksgivinga music on the spot. The reason I bring this up is because if anybody listening would like to revisit that or hear it for the first time, it's a great holiday show. It's available at iTunes for free. You can listen to it right now. Well, not right now. Listen to our show. Then go to iTunes, uh, look up Judd's Napa Valley Show, and many, many of our episodes, including the Jerry Kloss Gordon Lustig Thanksgivinga episode, can be heard there. Well, that's great, but too bad Thanksgivinga won't happen this year, sad to say. Not this year. Uh, luckily, Thanksgiving and Hanukkah will both happen, but just not together for many, many years to come. But, right. but we had fun while it lasted, did we not? It did. Speaking of having some fun, we've got a fun show lined up today. Oh, we do. I think so. And we have a guest sitting right here, very patient, patiently sitting, awaiting an introduction. Would you care to give him such an introduction? I'll give him my best shot, Judd. Give it a shot, Lauren. Let's see what we can do. Our guest today is one cool cat with calm nerves on the air. Not a fainter. Who could it be? A movie star? A playwright? 
the mayor of Napa? Nope, it ain't her. He's a celebrity winemaker we'll get to know now via radio. The great acquainter. Let's meet him now. The fabulous Brooks Painter. Hey, Brooks, how are you? <laughs> I'm great, Lauren. Glad to be here Hey, today. good morning, Brooks Painter. Oh, thank you, Lauren. Brooks Painter, you are a, a man about Napa, a celebrity winemaker, winemaker of the year. This is incredible. You've won this award uh, more than once, I believe. Have you not? Well, uh, in 2013, the uh, San Francisco International Wine Competition, which was uh, wonderful um, recognition. It was a, it's the largest international wine competition in, in North America, um, possibly the world, I'm not sure. But it was a great recognition. It's been a lot of fun. And then recently I was awarded, uh, recognized as Winemaker of the Year at uh, International, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, the American Fine Wine Competition down in Miami. Amazing. Yeah, I know that one. That That's great. So this is these are legit. Now, to be named Winemaker of the Year, I'm sure there's 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 tastings of wine. They look at who you are and what you're doing in the world of wine, your style, your philosophy. Is there is what else is there? Is there a talent competition, a swimsuit competition? <laughs> what else do you need to do to get named well, Winemaker of the Year? Well, I'll be in Miami next uh, next spring. Oh, so there's a swimsuit. There may be a swimsuit competition, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not why I won. Uh, <laughs> um, well. So I I have the distinct advantage as as a local winemaker here of uh, working for two wineries that have broad portfolio of uh, wines, Visa Tui Winery in Santa Elena and Castello di Amorosa, mm-hmm. and so just the sheer volume of wines gives me an edge in many of these competitions. And what uh, the recognition is that all the wines have been rated fairly highly by the judges, and so that's right. really what it comes down to, I think. Well, that makes sense. You know, there's so many varieties that you that you make and you're familiar with. I mean, it shows that you are capable, you know, across the spectrum. You know, I'm sure if you work for a place that just focused on Cabernet, you'd make amazing Cabernet, but you are able to make, I mean, how many varieties are you making at both those wineries? Well, varieties, I haven't actually counted them recently. It's got to be over 20, yeah, 20 plus. But in terms of individual wines, it's it's approaching 100. Is that right? 100 wines. And both Visa Tui Winery and Castello di Amorosa do have a very unique uh, business model in that they sell the wines only at the winery. Right, right. And so that allows us to be more of a fine wine shop than a, a winery that just focuses on one or two varieties or a couple wines. And so it's it's just so much fun to be making such a wide variety of wines from, you know, dry, sweet whites all the way to uh, Rhone and Cabernet, et cetera. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, I get a question, if not daily, at least a couple times a week in the tasting room over at Judd's Hill. I'm sure you get it all the time. And with the all these varieties you just mentioned, over 100 wines, the question I get all the time is, what's your favorite wine? <laughs> okay. Yes. I've got my answer. How do you answer that? Well, it's I've I've likened it. Uh, use the metaphor of uh, you know what's your favorite child, <laughs> <laughs> right? Of course, yeah. That's it depends on the day and the time of day, and it depends on the mood I'm in. Uh, so, and then and then year to year, each vintage is different. Uh, just to give you an example. I'll make a couple of single vineyard cabernets, and more likely than not, I'll prefer one one year and the next one the following year. Mm-hmm. So each each uh, wine is unique and and different. Um, in terms of what I drink most, uh, you know, when I'm not working and I'm enjoying a glass of wine at, at home, probably a, a full-bodied red, yeah. uh, although I'm a big Pinot Noir lover as well. Right. You know, and wines change. You know, what's your favorite? Well, it depends. You know, the, I, I answer in the form of context. Um, 
should I tell my whole story right now? I'll save that for another time. But I think I read a, something you, an interview had said about how the 1998s, when they were released way back when, they didn't get a lot of favorable press, which was a shame. I think it was just coming off this 97, which is this big, bright, fruit, balmy year that just the press loved, and the 98s tended to be, I don't know, somewhat more subdued. However, last year, in this interview, you said right now this is one of your favorite wines. I'm not sure when this interview came out, but it was within the past couple of years. You said a 98 cab. I, I don't remember which producers, one of yours probably, which it was. But I'll tell you, we went through as many Judd's Hill wines as we could find from our beginning in 1989, pretty much all of them. And the 98 was the standout about two years ago. Is that right? So well, what's your favorite? Well, gosh, things change all the time. Yeah, they certainly do. And 98 was a little closed uh, upon release. And I think that's one of the reasons it was a little tight. So the press didn't uh, um, didn't react so positively initially, but it's uh, shown to be just a wonderful uh, aging vintage, and so yeah. it winds up holding up really, really well. Yeah, and that's I think good for the consumer because well, I don't know about now, but certainly a few years back, there were probably plenty of them still be had in in library programs and whatnot because they just weren't selling a whole lot right off the bat, but now they're tasting spectacularly how'd you get into wine you were i mean i know you're a northern california guy born in san francisco san francisco right? correctly but what yeah. what brought you here to napa or at least what got you into what got you into wine first of all how did that happen? well we've got to go back a few years yeah. uh i was i was attending uh university of california at santa cruz uh oh, cool uh, biology the banana slugs but yeah, that's right the greatest college mascot <laughs> ever <laughs> we would find them often up in the redwood groves around yeah. around school but I focused on science, uh, thinking about medicine, and uh, I was looking for a part-time job to help put myself through school, and uh, someone told me about a local winery uh, that had a bottling line work, and so I inquired about that and started working just part-time there, and as uh, you know, my inquisitive wine, especially uh, kind of focused on science and, mm, yeah. and art and farming, had a broad, broad number of uh, likes and, and interests. And I just fell into it and discovered that it was such a, a, a variety of different disciplines. It blends a lot of things from farming all the way to marketing and food and wine, what have you. I just fell in love with it and kind of took a, took a turn from medicine and went into medicinal. Uh, right, spirits. right. Well, so your degrees are in the sciences and certainly wine. I mean, that falls right in. It's this great melding of art and science together. So you got into it through the sciences and then what developed your artist palette yeah well biology and chemistry gave me the, uh, the background on the technical side and and um developing your uh, your tasting acumen and mm. you know understanding of not only how wines taste today but where they're going to go and that's really the art of blending and using complement complementary wines to produce something that maybe it's not obvious today but in five years it's going to develop into something really special yeah, it's, it takes a little time to develop that type of feel for it, that knowledge of it. And were you already exposed to it as a, as a kid? Was it something, like, were your fa- was your family into wine and food? And- we had a lot of Gallo Hardy Burgundy in our house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, it's a start, right? Yeah, my Why par- not? My, my parents were not considered wine connoisseurs. You know, Manhattan is usually more what, what they would start the evening with. <laughs> Sounds good to me, too. But they did have it in the house. You know, yes. I, I've had some folks in the business on this show who, you know, grew up with absolutely nothing and it was totally up to them to find their way but you were given a little bit of a head start at least it sounds like was that uh, bay well, area type thing people around here seem to be aware of yes and and, wine. and and as far as a, kind of a a seed that was planted in my mind about winemaking uh 
we had an opportunity to go up to Ridge Vineyards above Cupertino oh, when yeah. I was a freshman in, at uh, UC and uh, helped bring in the harvest. So we picked uh, Montebello Cabernet Sauvignon in 1974. Oh, no kidding. And Which was lovely. I had never tasted wine grapes before. I had never tasted oh. a fruit that had so much uh, interesting complexities and, of course, terribly sweet, 20 23, 24 bricks. Right, sure. and, and so we, we after we picked grapes for a few hours, hung around for for a nice lunch, and uh, I said, well, I could I could learn to uh, like this lifestyle. <laughs> Not bad. That was <laughs> the planted the seed right there, huh? Exactly. So how, what was your first job actually in um, production? You said you were in the bottling line for a bit, but where did you start actually getting your hands in the wine? Well, this was a small local winery that I started out part-time. As I said, I was on the bottling line, then they started asking me to come in, help do a little topping, and then I started racking barrels, and Within a year, I'd, I was working in the lab uh, on a part-time basis. So I was really fortunate when I graduated. There was an opening at the same winery, and it's it was uh, it's it's actually changed hands now, but mm. it's it was located in the town of Felton, about nine miles from Santa Cruz. Right. And the winery is called Felton Empire Vineyards. Oh yeah. And so I started there in 1980. Was there for seven years in the early part of my career. And what brought you out to Napa? Well, I moved around a few times since between it was a long road between Santa Cruz <laughs> and Napa. I always knew I wanted to get back north of the bay, uh, having grown up in Marin County. So after our, my stint in, uh, in Santa Cruz at Felton Empire Vineyards, I had a, the, a unique uh, opportunity to go start a winery in, in Austin, Texas, of all places. Is that right? Yeah. I don't so think was, I knew this about your history, really. Well, it's, I don't often bring it up. <laughs> oh, really? Do tell. <laughs> oh, it was, Now's it the was, time. It was a very interesting experience. My wife and I moved out there in 1987, and it was a great project to build a, a winery from the ground up. Uh, the grapes were from the High Plains, uh, Lubbock area, but the owner of the winery had gone to uh, UT and lived in Austin, preferred Austin to Lubbock, apparently. Mm-hmm. Thought there was some, some better opportunities in terms of selling wine in the Austin area. So my wife and I had our first son, I think two months after we arrived, and then... Oh, so your son's a Texan. Uh, well, both of them are, actually. Ah, we have two Texans in the family. Right <laughs> my daughter, Emily, was born about seven months before we left. Ah, okay. <laughs> so we, it was kind of a, a quick trip out there, two years. We quickly discovered as a, a young young couple with very young children that it's nice to have a family support around. And, oh, and for I sure. think our, our closest yeah. family member was 1,600 miles. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, we, we wanted to get back out to the coast, That's and we ended up coming out to the central coast from there. Oh, you did? Yeah, I worked for a small winery uh, down in Ventura. Uh, called Leeward Winery. All right. And we're making wines from up and down the Central Coast, Monterey, down to uh, Santa Barbara. That was an interesting experience. We were there for five years, and then it was time to move on again. And is that when you eventually got your way up to Napa Valley? Well, I, not yet. I got a call one night about 10 a.m. This 10 is Judd's Napa Valley show, so I'm trying to you know find out what's happening in Napa. You got this call. I got this call, but I started looking for other opportunities, mm-hmm. and I got this call uh, one night about 10 p.m., and this low voice said, Brooks? I said, yes, hello? This is Warren Winyarski. Oh, we've heard of him. I got your resume. Why did you send it? Really? So <laughs> I, <laughs> I responded, well, because I'm very interested in working for you. And we started a great conversation, and, and one thing led to another. Eventually got up here for an interview, and uh, he offered me a position at uh, Stag Seat Wine Cellars, which was a great opportunity. L- loved working with Warren, and especially uh, his um, his knowledge and, and expertise, and 
really commitment to the vineyards, to the growing right. of the wines, uh, the wine growing. Very yeah. vineyard focused. Yeah. So I, that was really a big boon uh, in terms of my skill set to have that opportunity to work with him in the vineyards. It sounds like that would really round you out. You had the, the science background. They worked in the lab, you know, a lot of production, but maybe you hadn't had the uh, viticulture yet? Just kind of scratched the surface of right. the viticulture. And so what, one of my um, responsibilities was uh, grower relations manager. So I was going out, you know, day to day, meeting with all of our growers and uh, also, of course, working with our internal staff in the, in the vineyards. And it was a really exciting time for me. I learned so much about viticulture that I had only scratched the surface with before. Yeah, what a great teacher. I mean, that's that's good pedigree you got. And then from there, is that... When you ended up, I mean, I think when I met you, you were the director of operations over at Robert Mondavi Winery. That's correct. So How did that leave? That's a big deal, too. There's a couple of very big deals in Napa Valley. Well, I kind of determined that I'd been, most of my experience was with small to medium-sized wineries. Yeah. And I, I, I saw a hole in my resume. And I was very excited to uh, join the Robert Mondavi winemaking team. And being operations manager was a little different role for me than, than my previous uh, experience. So yeah. a lot more nuts and bolts uh, of you know the functioning of the winery, overseeing all the bottling operations, maintenance team, of course, all the winemaking staff right. as well. So dealing with budgets, and that, that was more of my business side to round out the vineyard and, and winemaking side. And how did that feel? I, that's got to be a very different kind of vibe if you're um, from my own personal experience I know my, my father you know was a oh I'm going to use this word even though it's so overused but it does fit and it's one of my pet peeves whenever I see this on any uh, wine PR or a back label it's the word passion oh people use a thesaurus but it's everywhere but I'm about to say it anyway you know well, you knew my father you know yes. he was definitely hey I'm going to say it but I don't have a thesaurus on me so if, if anybody wants to you know tweet me some uh, synonyms for this passion or passionate <laughs> feel free uh, at Judd's Hill uh, is the Twitter handle but he was a passionate dude about his winemaking uh, it started as a hobby that he just loved and so he turned that into a career and when you know things got big and built up and he found himself more as a general manager or as I guess you could call it a you know director of operations type thing and he wasn't as hands-on he did not like that at all. He hated it. In fact, he's, he sold the business. He's like, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. This is ridiculous. And just to start small again, to have his hands on it. I mean, how did that feel for you, though? To, to Some people handle it better. You know, they like kind of the, the multitask or the overview, but he liked to have his hands right in the, right in the wine. And well, if you ever shook his hand, you knew that was true because they're always kind of cracked open and stained with wine. Yes. Well, well, your father, Art, was a great example to many of people here in the Valley and a great friend to everyone. Yeah. I came to the same conclusion that uh, that your dad did, okay. that I was uh, a step away from, uh, a step too far away from the hands-on day-to-day. And as much as I loved my role at Robert Madavi, I really start, I started missing uh, being a little bit mm. more involved in um, the winemaking side. Yeah. I was spending less time in the vineyards, for example, less time in the vineyards at harvest, which is the critical time of the year that sure. winemakers need to be out there. And so it was uh, when it was time to move on, I was looking for something that would be a little bit more uh, um, uh, applied to the winemaking side as opposed to the business side. But my current uh, responsibilities at Visitui and Castel de Amorosa blend all of those disciplines, but I'm much closer to the wine than, than I had been at Robert Mondavi. And uh, so that's why I decided it was time to move on. Very cool. Let's find out more about what you do at Visa Tui and the, and the castle, as they call it, up in Calistoga. 
Uh, we got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with Brooks Painter, winemaker extraordinaire. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. At 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live in Australia at (laughs) kvon.com. Back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. Good eye, mate. Good eye, Judd. Australia, huh? Yep. Why not? Why not? It's true. Anywhere anybody has internet service that isn't being blocked by the government for whatever reason, uh, you can you can dial up, dial up. What an old-fashioned term is that? You can point your web browser to www.kvon.com and stream the show live. How about that, Lauren? Yes, and on our new iPhone app, too. Oh, what's the new iPhone app? I wasn't aware we had an iPhone app. It's official. KVON now has an iPhone app. Why am I the last to know these things? You need to tell me these things. Also, you can listen to it. I have listeners, believe it or not, my aunt, out of town who listens via, I think it's, is it called Intune Radio? I should know these things. Uh, Yeah, so you listen wherever you are. In fact, when I was in New York recently, I wanted to see which repeat they were playing, and I used Intune. I'm giving them a plug. I don't know why, because I think it's cool. But no matter where you are, you can use that and listen to the uh, show. I wanted to hear which one they did, and it it was Comfort Slacks. Great band. Lauren. We're having some fun here today. We've got Brooks Painter. Oh, yeah. Celebrity winemaker of Napa Valley. It's going great so far. I think so. We're, Brooks, you can just sit there. We're going to talk about you while you're sitting right here. Yeah, I think it's going pretty well, Lauren. What do you think? Having a good... You think he's pretty interesting? And Oh, yeah. Okay, good. All right, let's get back to Brooks. Brooks, just before the break, we mentioned how you got back into the hands-on winemaking at Visa Tui and the Castello di Amoroso. Folks call it the castle. I get that a lot. Um, the castle of love. The castle of love. Right on. What does that make you? Does that make you like the purveyor of the wine of the castle of love? Dr. Dr. Love Castle. I'm what do they call you around there? I'm always mixing up some love. <laughs> love <are>. potion. <laughs> the love doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious, you know, when you're making wine at two different wineries, same ownership, but they are two different wineries, how do you keep, what am I trying to say? How do you, how do you kind of keep them separated in your head, you know, philosophically, stylistically? How do you differentiate the wines? Well, it's it's uh, it's an interesting problem because it, um, it it's it's very very uh, exciting to be working with so many different wines. Of course, it's got to start in the vineyard. So yeah. first of all, there's there's very few, if any, sources of the grapes that go into both programs, and so that is that makes them quite distinctive. Just just uh, from the standpoint of the terroir uh, that these grapes are coming from, and then on top of that. The castle is a little bit more focused on some of the Italian varietals, uh, Sangiovese, Pinot oh, yeah. Bianco, and uh, even if it's grown in France, uh, northern Italy, uh, wines like uh, Gewürztraminer um, mm. and, uh, of course, Moscato. And then this being Napa Valley, of course, most of the red wine is all about Cabernet Sauvignon. Sure. Cab so we have, some, we have some really great single vineyard Cabernets, both at Visa Tui. Rutherford area is a real favorite uh, area for us. The Preston Vineyard, as well as uh, uh, Gary Morisoli's Vineyard. And then at Castel di Amoroso, we have uh, a lot from Pritchard Hill, uh, right. Melanson Vineyard. We we source quite a bit of the fruit internally as well. We grow about 280 acres mm-hmm. of vineyards from Mendocino down to Napa Valley. 
We're uh, developing new vineyard uh, over in Sonoma. So wide variety of sources. And then stylistically, we also try to set them apart as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you can use uh, different techniques, different maceration techniques. On the red wines, of course, oak barrels, I try to uh, have uh, different different suppliers for each one, each of the uh, two brands. Is there a, a house style for each one? It's just kind of a general house style. You can say, okay, well, the wines... At Satui are going to be at Visatui are going to be relatively this way, and the wines at the castle are going to be more another way. I don't want to use adjectives because I don't want to put them out there. But is there any thought like that? Well, I don't believe so. Mm. I think that what we our goal is to try to make the best possible wine sure. for for both brands, given our uh, you know what the, the what the nature has given us in the vineyard. So we're we do a lot of experimenting, a lot of trials, always trying to improve uh, you know some of our uh, tech techniques and processing. We tried some um, over the last two years some barrel fermentation of reds. So we've got uh, concrete eggs for uh, some of our whites. So we're going to try oh, yeah. try a little concrete uh, aging in, on a Grenache this year. Okay, uh, sounds fun. Yeah, playing with different things. And that's another way to, as you discover what works, uh, another way to create a little more distinctiveness between the two products. Have you experimented with concrete? I mean, that's been a thing lately, people using these concrete eggs and I'm curious, what flavors do you find developing the concrete that you wouldn't find necessarily in wood? Well, the, or stainless steel yeah, or whatever the, else we're aging wine in. My descriptor is a, a minerality that you often won't get aging in wood. There's the, the concrete allows for a little bit more of a lees contact, so you get a real toasty, yeasty character in some of the wines. It's it's interesting. It's become a, you know kind of a challenge for us to describe the differences, but there definitely are differences in the wines, and, and a concrete egg tends to enhance some of the varietal characters and the, uh, the earthy mineral uh, aromas. Well, varietal characteristic is certainly important. You know, folks are looking at a bottle of wine they've never tasted and they see it says whatever the variety is, Cabernet Merlot, they want to have an idea of what that tastes like. Now, these two places that you make wine, Visatui and St. Helena and the Castello di Amoroso up in Calistoga are probably two of the most visited wineries in Napa Valley, I would imagine. I believe they are, yes. So I'm, I'm guessing that more people try your wines, wines that you've made, than almost at any other winery in Napa Valley. How does that affect you when thinking like, wow, there are more people trying my wines than really any other wines? Does that put pressure on you or does it just make you proud and kind of strut around town saying, hey man, look at me? Well, I, I remember as a teenager watching some of the, the ads for wines and I'm trying to remember the, the brand itself, but it was it was the, uh, the ad about the little old winemaker. Oh and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I, right. belie- I believe that he was uh, an individual who made everything from sparkling wine to fortified wines and mm-hmm. everything in between. And so that was my vision of uh, what winemakers did. And then I came to discover that, of course, in the broad market, if you're selling wines through distribution and other states, they really wanted you to focus on a small number of wines. Absolutely. And so uh, I've kind of fallen into a, a, a situation where I, uh, they want to do the opposite. We want to have mm-hmm. many, many wines mm-hmm. and many different selections because we're hoping to find you know, uh, or offer a wine for every uh, palate and, and also pocketbook. And so we have uh, reserve wines, you know, several hundred dollars a bottle and then your right. everyday wines you know 14 to 18 dollars um and everything in between when i was working with robert mandavi he was uh, you know such a tremendous ambassador for wine in general and of course wow. napa valley absolutely 
But I think uh, Dario Satui has done an equal job as well in terms of introducing people to wine. It's often um, V. Satui and then now the castle or both are now uh, real destinations for our visitors to the valley. In fact, most people who've come here for the first time make it, make it one of their stops. And at Visa Tui, you can get a sandwich, have a little picnic. Right. Uh, you know, up at the castle, you can walk around a medieval, uh, a very authentic medieval <laughs> Tuscan <laughs> castle. It's amazing. I I remember the first time visiting actually both those places uh, at Visa Tui as a very little kid. I, I think just visiting uh, out and about with my folks and just being stunned by. I'd never seen so many cheeses in my life. I don't know, it just stuck with me as a little guy. I was probably, you know, seven years old. But the castle really struck me. As it was being built, I, you know, I, I would hear stories, maybe read a newspaper article here and there. And then the first time I went, I don't know if I would say skeptical. I think I was just wasn't sure what to expect. Maybe it was a little skeptical. Maybe it was just within me having come from, you know, my, my background in the in the movie business where people build things and they're... Uh, there's there's a there's a fakeness to it, you know. It's just kind of a set or set dressing a lot of the time. I think that was what I was thinking. I kind of had that mindset, but when I showed up, I, I mean, that went away like I'm gonna snap my fingers in an instant. You look at that thing, and that that is a real medieval Italian castle. It's incredible. Some of the stories about the the artisans who came over from Europe to build it and and paint frescoes in there and lay tiles. It's just incredible. Well, it's the real deal. Dario Satui took on a tremendous undertaking. It was 14 years of construction. <sighs> and I remember in the early years, I would see concrete trucks drive up the driveway yeah. to the site, but you couldn't see anything above ground. Well, the first uh. the first nine years was all under underground, underground cellars. And they, the, the uh, building techniques that they used, as you said, there was folks coming over from, uh, from Europe uh, teaching some of our local construction workers and the people that we had on staff. Mm-hmm. When I started in 2005, we were still under construction. In the last two years, we had on a daily basis 50 stonemasons uh, shaping stone and, and putting <laughs> stone on this, uh, building the towers. Wow. Uh, it, it was really uh, amazing to see. And of course, making wine in a construction zone was a little challenging the first few years. But when we opened our doors in 2007, people were amazed at what he had accomplished. Sure. And uh, I've heard Dario describe how how uh, cautious he was and unsure if it, it was gonna, he was going to be able to pull it off or mm. not. He did. And as far as I know, it's the only Napa Valley winery with a dungeon. As far as I know. Exactly. Now, it's a medieval castle in just about every detail, but what are the winemaking facilities like? I would imagine a little more modern. Yes, they are quite modern. Uh, you know, we have all the same insulated and, and jacketed tanks that, that, that most everyone does. We have you know, some web-based temperature controls, and you know, so we're definitely on, on the high-tech side in some areas. But as you, uh, as you discover when you're a winemaker, many of the uh, centuries-old techniques, for example, concrete tanks going back, Back in time, right? Uh, you know, it's uh, oak barrels. It's just hard to improve on that. Some things are tradition for a reason because they work. Exactly, exactly. So you are embedded in Napa Valley as far as uh, you know, making your mark and being a very well-known uh, winemaker here. I've read some interviews that you've done, and it seems like you really have a palate for French wine as well. You seem to really enjoy French wine. Some interviews I've read about. 
what are you drinking now? You mentioned many French wines and I'm wondering if your palate, is it, have you always loved French wines? Is it a response like you're drinking a lot of Napa? So French wines, maybe something exciting and fresh with a different flavor uh, profile. I mean, this is true. You are into French wines. Well, I am. I, I don't drink them as often as uh, California um, uh, wines or uh, even Oregon Pinots, but I do I do really enjoy French wines. And I think it's not only France, of course, it's German. Uh, when I first started in the business, we were making a lot of Riesling. And yeah. So Germany was the go-to, you know, country and culture to learn about Riesling. Uh, now with all the Italian varietals we're making at the castle, certainly uh I'm looking to Italy for some inspiration there. So I think it's just the old world in general is where all these traditions came from. And so you have to go back and, and make sure that you understand what's happening there. Well, let's go back to France. Since you, are, since you do have the palate and you know quite a bit about French wines, we're going to play a little game. We're going to play match game. Are you ready? Lauren, I want you in on this too, okay? I'll be Johnny Olson. No, no, no I'm going to do all that part. You're going to play the game. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I am going to give you a fill-in-the-blank. And Lauren, what I want you to do is write in, I want you to fill in the blank. And Brooks, I want you to just think about what the blank should be. And we're going to see if you guys can match. Are you ready? Yes. Let's play a little match game, shall we? Okay. The first one, Chateau Blank. And if you want to write down your answer, Brooks, you can do that too. Lauren's furiously writing Chateau Blank. The next one is Clo Blank. And thirdly, Domain Blank. All right. Chateau blank, Clo blank, domain blank. Are you ready? All right, Brooks, Brooks painter, winemaker. What did you write for Chateau blank? What is the blank? Margot. Chateau Margot. All right, Lauren, what did you have? Chateau Wee Wee. Wee Wee. Chateau. Oh, that's spelled O U I O U I. Okay, great. <laughs> Not Chateau Wee. Okay, well, you didn't get a match there. All right, Clo. Brooks, what did you have? Clo blank. Clo Bougeau. Clos Vougeau, okay, very, very famous. Clos Vougeau. Lauren, what did you have? Clos blank. Clos de coupe le fromage. Oh, <laughs> hey, I speak French now. <laughs> you do. It's not. Uh, it was you, close. Clos de coupe le fromage, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> close, very close. All right, so far, uh, two out of three have not matched. Let's see if we can get a prize on this third one. Brooks Domain blank. De la Romanicante. De la Romanicante, uh, most famous of the uh, Burgundies. What did you have, Lauren? Domain what? Domain de Ulala. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. The trip. What was the trip to this year or this this week? This week. Yeah. What did What did we not win the prize? Either of you. Well, a trip what? to Philadelphia. Yep. Sorry, the trip to Philadelphia. On your own nickel was not one today, but thanks for playing anyway. A little Judd's <laughs> Napa Valley Show match game. Uh, let's get into some things that you like to do when you're not making wine. Uh, you're a very you know diverse kind of guy. I think I've heard you do a little woodworking, a lot of stuff on the sea. What are some of your favorite hobbies, Mr. Brooks Painter? Well, I think being a Pisces, I love the water. Oh, um, yeah. So scuba diving, skin diving. Uh, I used to do a lot of abalone diving up on oh, really? the north coast to... Uh, Back in the day, I haven't done much recently, but uh, and then sailing. Uh, I grew up sailing on San Francisco Bay mm. uh, with my family. My dad uh, had a little sailboat out of Sausalito. We had a lot of fun, um, and I owned my own boat in Monterey Bay for a few years. And then more recently, we've been doing some bear boat charters down in the Caribbean. I've oh, done, how done fun. a couple of those trips. Beautiful uh, catamaran, forty-eight foot catamaran. It's like sailing a living room. 
Oh, wow. How fun. <laughs> now, is that a good time? And when's a good time in the crib? Probably it works out with, because you're busy, probably, you're very busy, summer, fall. So you probably get down to the Caribbean when in the winter, when it's well, probably perfect down there, right? Winter, spring uh, is, is uh, the best time to be down there. Fortunately for, uh, for me, uh, hurricane season coincides with the harvest. Yeah, so you so. don't have to be down there. <laughs> it's never a problem for you. Exactly. And scuba, you do scuba, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. scuba diving. I, I used I've been to in a long time, but used to do a lot of diving in the Monterey Bay area. Carmel, uh, more of a warm water diver yeah, these days. Yeah, it's frigid there. <laughs> yes. I, I learned in cold water here in California, but the first time I went to, well, first and only time I've been to the Caribbean several years ago, Grand Cayman. And you jump in that water and it's 80 something degrees. Oh boy, you never want to go back. Yeah, that's a, what a great location. I've always wanted to be there. Haven't haven't made it yet. Oh yeah, oh, the corals, the variety of fish. I'll tell you though, California, the the kelp forests, even though the water's cold, those kelp forests just they sustain this incredible environment that is just astounding to explore. Oh, it's such a rich, rich world. And I've often likened it to being a bird, uh, you know, flying through a forest because you really, are, you have a sense of three dimensions mm. when you're down underwater. And, it's really and weightlessness. Great. And you are really kind of flying through it. It's so yes. cool. Woodworking, what type of, are you a carpenter? Oh, you, no, just, build things? Um, I seem to uh, have kind of rekindled my interest in woodworking. I used to do it several years ago and so right now i'm working on a, a little table putting together a little table it's going to be a, a, a barrel head uh, oh yeah table and the the, uh, the legs are made out of uh, stave wood from a big german oval wonderful that, uh, we had to take apart so Will just be something for the home yeah just playing around keeping it thematic oh that's yeah. nice we're coming up on the holidays this week is thanksgiving earlier today we mentioned uh hanukkah of course uh christmas all the holidays are Upon us, you know, quick recommendations, holiday to holiday. So if you're having a, a turkey or some kind of autumnal meal, your go-to wine, you can give yourself a plug, you know, something you make if you want. Well, we make an interesting uh, Rhone blend. We call it a GSM, Grenache, Syrah, Morvedra mm-hmm. wine, and its name is Entanglement. Entanglement. And, yeah, is so this at the castle? Or? <clears throat> this is a Visatui wine, a actually. So, okay. So uh, Visatui wine, probably uh, the Entanglement would be my go-to wine, uh, right. Rhone blend. And up at the castle, I love our Sangiovese. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's a you know, more delicate red wine, good acidity. I've had it. I was uh, fortunate to have a little tasting up there not all that long ago, and it was delicious. Hanukkah, fried foods, you know, latkes, jelly donuts, and the like. What do you think? What's a good fried food wine that you have? Well, I'm looking for a crisp white, like the Pinot Bianco mm. over the castle or Sauvignon Blanc from Satui. Some good acid to cut through the exactly, yeah. the fried, the greasiness. And then we get into Christmas. What are you thinking? Well, Christmas I pull out uh, in the big guns. So that would oh, yeah. be uh, you know, Il Baroni, uh, wow. Cabernet Sauvignon. The 2010 is showing really, really well right now. And probably uh, our Morisoli Vineyard Cab from Satui. Great. I've asked you lots of questions, and you have so much experience that I hate to end the show now on this, but it's something I have to know. Uh, do you go nuts for donuts? <laughs> you know, I, I don't have donuts anymore. Not even today? Well, I might have a bite. Okay. <laughs> here we go. I Help have yourself. here a, a pink box presentation of several donuts. Oh, it's a lovely presentation. So what I want you to do is, uh, you know, choose one of these donuts. Let's see which one he goes for, Lauren. It's also a psychology test, right? Oh, good. I was hoping he'd go for the autumnal sprinkles. 
Uh, it's a multicolored kind of warm colored sprinkles, orange and red and yellow with some chocolate underneath. What is your go-to with that donut right here, nibbling on this beautiful autumn day in Napa Valley? Oh, it would be uh, our uh, Gewürztraminer Dolcino. Gewürztraminer uh, yeah, Dolcino. Off-dry Gewürztraminer. Delicious. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This! is Mad Lids. That's right. It's our favorite fill-in-the-blank game. Uh, Brooks, I think you know how this one works. I do. We, we play this a lot with my kids. So. All right. Well, let's get going. We've got a, a minute or so, so we'll go rather quickly. Let's see what we can, we can do. The first thing I'm going to need from you is a geographic location. It could be anywhere. Uh, how about Rome, Italy? Rome, Italy. All right. Uh, next, I need an adjective. You must have plenty uh, of these. You're see. a winemaker with descriptors rolling yeah. up your tongue. Well, I'm sorry, what? Smoky. Smoky. A good one. A, a noun. Uh, toaster oven. <laughs> okay. Toaster oven. Now that it's Thanksgiving, mine's going to be getting a lot of use. So I make my turkey in the toaster oven. It's donut. We'll get into that another time. Uh, adjective. Yeah, I'm looking at these donuts. How about sticky? Sticky. Great. A plural noun. Tacos. Tacos. My favorite lunches and dinners and probably breakfasts. A geographic location. Someplace I've never been, but Taiwan comes to mind. Taiwan. Okay. A number. Could be any number you can think of. Oh, uh, about 79. 79. And finally, an adjective. Uh, looking at this donut again. How about fruity? <laughs> fruity. You got it. Now, Brooks, what I did is uh, before the show today, I looked at your bio and printed out a portion of it, which you have just now rewritten via this Mad Libs. (laughs) Are you ready? Here we go. This is all about you, Brooks. Born in San Francisco, Brooks was raised in Northern California and graduated from the University of California in Rome, Italy. (laughs) He has been called the winemaker's winemaker because of his smoky expertise and prominence as a toaster oven industry leader among his peers. <laughs> you're, you're diversifying. His research on biochemistry and sticky evaluation of wine, <laughs> I like that, has been published in the American Journal of Viticulture and Enology, as well as Wines and Tacos magazine. <laughs> I would subscribe to that. I got to get a copy of that. <laughs> yeah. I want to read your uh, article. Brooks and his wife, Beth, live in Taiwan. Hey, that's News quite a community. Thanks for, thanks for making it all the way out here today. They have 79 adult children and are... <laughs> and are oh, my God. Yeah. And are involved in charitable and other fruity organizations in Napa Valley. <laughs> Brooks Painter, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's been a, really, a real pleasure having you. Well, thanks, Judd. It's been great. Judd's Napa Valley Show is a Gilamar production. This is Lauren Mole speaking. That's Napa Valley Show.